Welcome to the Climate Report on WFMP-FM Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 125. Today's topic is Disempowering Corporate Ogres, Part 3. We'll be talking about disempowering corporate ogres in a few minutes, but first some commentary as to current events. So within the past few days, the Republicans in the Senate have decided to vote on the Green New Deal. So a little bit of background. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the big rock star in Washington, D.C. these days, and for good reason, and for all the right reasons. She's going to bat for people and going to bat for sanity in climate and sanity in environmental policy. And she was elected without corporate money. She accepted no corporate money, was outspent by her opponent in the Democratic primary by approximately 5 to 1, if not more than that. Her opponent, Joe Crowley, was all about taking corporate money and then doing their bidding, and that had been going on for 20 years. But Joel Crowley was defeated by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the Democratic primary of the 2018 election in the 14th District of New York, which is the Bronx and Queens. So then she comes to Washington, D.C., and the centerpiece of her agenda is the Green New Deal. Now, the Green New Deal is a term that goes back a few years. The Green Party was actually the first to advance a substantial platform that they called the Green New Deal. But until recently, that was not a part of the political discourse in this country. Now, all of a sudden, AOC gets to Washington, D.C., starts talking about a Green New Deal, and puts together a proposal that is a resolution that is a family of policies not only to address climate, but also to address any number of issues so as to bring about economic justice, social justice, and environmental justice. It is absolutely a set of policies that this country is ready for, judging by how people respond in polls to the specifics. Now, people have all also been trained to fear and loathe what's called socialism. Because for a hundred years, Russia and the Soviet Union have been our enemies, and the business, the corporate world, the big investors, the big money, legitimately saw socialism as an ideological threat to their bank accounts and to their power and to their wealth. So they have spent a hundred years of vilifying socialism, And they've done a pretty good job of that. They've had some success in vilifying socialism. But here's the thing. They never define what the term means. They only use it as a label to vilify their enemies. They use it as a label to vilify countries that they want to take down, like Venezuela or Cuba or Nicaragua. Or... Russia and the Soviet Union, or China, but they never define the term. So here's how that rhetoric goes. In, in, in so many words, in so many clever media strategies, 
people are given a choice. You either have the American way, which is they claim is complete, unregulated capitalism, or it's Soviet-style authoritarian communism, which, by the way, has not existed for 20 years, because 20 years ago the Soviet Union came unraveled and became a capitalist country, but still Russia is thought to be our enemy. Why? Here's why. Here's why Russia is still thought to be our enemy. Because, as Randolph Bourne said in the early 1900s, war is the health of the state. War is the health of the state. The state needs to have enemies in order for the state to be strong. People who have power want more power, and they're going to have more power if they can point to an enemy to vilify. So the following is a list of who has been our enemies the last hundred years. Our enemies in the last hundred years have been communism and socialism, even though the word socialism is ill-defined. It's whoever the government wants it to be. It's whoever the government wants to vilify. And in fact, socialism is any policy or any person that in fact is going to bat for people versus business. So all over Latin America, people were vilified and even killed because they were labor leaders or because they were priests who were trying to organize people to stick up for their rights and to protect their lands. But communism was the enemy. Communism was the boogeyman. Even to the extent that the United States for decades, has been making war on Christianity. You heard me right. The United States, for decades, has been making war on Christianity. It's a particular type of Christianity called liberation theology, which was adopted by the Catholic Church, I believe, under Pope John. And, of course, South America and Latin America is a big Catholic region, So you have conservative factions of the church and you have progressive liberation theology factions of the church. And the United States military has been making war on liberation theology for decades because liberation theology is for people, for the health and well-being of people against their oppressors. And quite often their oppressors are big American corporations. So in Guatemala in the mid-50s, you had the United Fruit Company didn't like the policies being advocated by Jacobo Arbenz, who was a popularly elected, democratically elected prime minister of Guatemala, whose hero was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. But Jacobo Arbenz was targeted by the CIA, by the United States government, by the Eisenhower administration, because he was a threat to the United Fruit Company, because he was doing something called land reform. He was taking land that was not being used, and he was giving it back to people who could use it. United Fruit Company didn't like this because it posed a threat to their dominance of the region. United Fruit Company was nicknamed Il Pulpo in 
which is Spanish for the octopus, because it just sprawled all over Latin America and the Caribbean. So he was targeted by the CIA, Jacobo Arbenz was targeted by the CIA, and a, a little civil war was started by the CIA. And within a matter of months, Jacobo Arbenz was out. And that is only one example of what is by far the prevailing theme and the overarching pattern of events in Latin America, which has made people poor in order to make American companies rich. And since the mid-50s, when Jacobo Arbenz was deposed, 200,000 people in Guatemala have died at the hands of the brutal fascist regime that replaced Jacobo Arbenz. This is only the clearest example of the prevailing pattern whereby American military force is doing the bidding of American corporate giants. And it's the reason that Guatemala and Honduras and El Salvador and Panama and Colombia are, and even Brazil are among the most brutal regimes in the world. That's why I say that wealth is not neutral. Wealth is not benign. Wealth is not benevolent. If you put too much wealth in too few hands, it is the power to do a lot of damage. It is the power to do a lot of harm. It is even the power to commit genocide. And that's why Wall Street, the corporations and the investors on Wall Street have blood on their hands. The wealth of Wall Street is not the wealth of American entrepreneurism. It is the wealth of extraction. It is the wealth of theft. Not all of it. I mean, to some extent, Wall Street companies create valuable services. But they want you to focus only on their contribution. And when they're murdering people, or when the U.S. government is murdering people on their behalf, or when Latin American governments are murdering people on their behalf, with our money, with our arms, with our training and technical support, we've got a problem because the wealth is not wealth that has been created, it is wealth that has been extracted in the style and tradition of a common criminal. Let's do a little thought experiment. Let's say you needed heart surgery, and there's a heart surgeon in your city. Actually, there's more than one heart surgeon in your city, but there's one of them that is the top of his field. This is the single most prestigious heart surgeon in the world. Now, the type of surgery you need, other people can do it, but this is the single most prestigious heart surgeon in the world. Is that the heart surgeon you would choose? And of course, that's the one you would choose if you could. But let's say it came to light. Now, this is just a thought experiment. Don't be shocked. But let's say it came to light that this heart surgeon, world-famous heart surgeon, was actually a, a serial killer and had 10 bodies buried in his basement. Now, would you still go to that heart surgeon? I mean, 
this heart surgeon is top in his field, the most prestigious heart surgeon in the world, the one who before now had the best reputation in the world. But then you find out this information about being a serial killer and having 10 bodies in the basement. Would you then choose that surgeon to perform your surgery? Of course, you would not. And why? Because it doesn't matter what good he has done. He is a horrible person that should be locked up forever and never allowed to touch another innocent person. So we just described a hypothetical situation in which the person, this heart surgeon, has killed 10 people. Show me a Fortune 500 company that is not responsible for the death of at least 10 people. There may be some, but we just described a situation in which American corporate interests in Guatemala played a critical role in starting and continuing a brutal war that killed 200,000 people. And that war continues. It's a war of the government on the people. Guatemala, as a government, is making war on its people. Any political dissidents get tortured or killed. They're very serious about getting rid of dissidents. Guatemala is like that. Honduras is like that. El Salvador is like that. And these are countries that get a lot of aid from the United States. Not the kind of aid that helps people, but the kind of aid that helps a military dictatorship. And it's the same for Colombia, and it's the same for Panama. So that's why I'm saying that much of the wealth on Wall Street is being held by companies who have blood on their hands. Not least of all, the war profiteers. So the Iraq war was started based on lies. Lies about weapons of mass destruction. Lies on the part of Bush and Cheney and Colin Powell. And they were lying to increase their own wealth. And they were lying to increase the wealth of their allies and their contributors. Do they not have blood on their hands? All this is why... We need to have a serious conversation about disempowering corporate ogres, disempowering corporate overlords, disempowering the corporate masters who have bought our politicians, not least of all Kentucky's own Mitch McConnell. And the same is true of mainstream Democrats. It's not one party or the other. Mainstream Democrats are the party of Wall Street. Not hard to explain why the speculators on Wall Street, or how the speculators on Wall Street, drive up the price of corn, drive up the price of wheat, drive up the price of rice and other vital commodities. And when that happens, people die. Nobody benefits. No wealth was created. But some people get rich and some people die. Not hard to explain how that works. Not hard to explain how companies like Nestle, by commercializing water, deprive some people of the water that they need for a healthy life. So now the question, in the time we have remaining, how to disempower 
the big corporations that in many respects are such bad actors uh, in our country and on the world stage. We talked about using environmental regulations to create jobs and to shift earnings from shareholders to workers. We talked about empowering unions because that's only fair and right and just. Now, talking point number nine, we did the first eight talking points in the last two episodes. Talking point number nine, stop giving tax breaks to big companies to locate in our locality. Now, the question is why? Why does Louisville or New York City or any other city give tax breaks to companies to locate in their city? And there is a reason, of course, but it's not a good reason. It's a very bad reason. And there is a stated reason, but there is a real reason. One of the things we do on the Climate Report is to explore the disconnect between rhetoric and reality. So let's look at the rhetoric and then compare the rhetoric to the reality. So the rhetoric is that this company is going to come into town and they're going to create jobs. But what good is it for them to create jobs if they also destroy jobs? What good is it for them to create jobs if they trash the environment? Are they creating a positive net increase in the number of jobs in the community? Plus, by giving tax breaks, you're shifting the tax burden onto the rest of the taxpayers, many of whom are not wealthy people. Some of them are struggling small businesses. So you have the small businesses paying taxes to subsidize the big businesses. But why does any city want these big businesses? Take Louisville. Louisville has UPS. Louisville has Papa John's. Louisville has Yum! Brands. So let's say Louisville was thinking about, or let's say Amazon was thinking about coming to Louisville. So, so Amazon is going to come to Louisville. And what does Amazon do for the city of Louisville that deserves a bribe in the form of tax breaks? Well, you can understand why corporate lawyers would love to have Amazon in Louisville. You can understand why the biggest advertising firms would love to have Amazon in Louisville. You can understand why city leaders would like to have Amazon in Louisville. But so far, we've only talked about a small fraction of the people. So corporate executives and high-end lawyers and accountants, yeah, they want those big corporate entities to come to Louisville. So they use their influence to try to make it happen And what results is tax breaks that make the tax burden fall on all the other taxpayers, including small businesses. So you can understand how corporate lawyers and institutional investment managers and institutional employee benefits managers and big accounting firms love it when a big company locates its headquarters in their town, but that is only a small fraction of the people. The vast majority of people are not going to benefit from that corporate headquarters, especially if it means costing the city millions of dollars in tax breaks. But yet this happens all the time. It happens all the time. It happens every day. Amazon had dozens, if not hundreds, of cities 
competing with one another, saying, please bring your corporate headquarters to our city. We will give you millions of dollars in tax breaks to come to our city. Well, that needs to be put to an end. Time after time after time, it has been shown that that's regressive. It's against the needs and interests and concerns of the vast majority of people. And it's a big propaganda gig where they say we're going to bring jobs, but they don't have a net positive effect on the community. So there needs to be a federal law that places severe limits on the ability of these big companies to extort tax breaks out of a community in a way that does not help the average person or the community. So there needs to be a federal law because the powers that be in states and cities are not willing to make this happen. And the cities that get rewarded are the ones that are the bad actors. Cities that get rewarded are essentially the ones where the city leaders and the corporate lawyers and the big advertising firms are in bed with the big company that's playing cities against one another to try to get the most tax breaks. So, talking point number nine under disempowering corporate ogres is to have a federal law that prohibits big companies from throwing their weight around in a way that is bad for communities and bad for people. Which gives rise to another question. Talking point number 10, why shouldn't we be able to decide? Why shouldn't we, the people of Jefferson County, be able to decide who does and does not do business in our county? We don't live where they do business. They do business where we live. We should have a right to vote on that which affects us. We should have a right to vote on that which impacts us. So if it's fast food, we should have, a, and fast food impacts our quality of life. We should have a right to have control and self-determination and sovereignty over that which affects us. This is democracy. We think we live in a democracy, but we've never seen democracy. Mainly what we see is plutocracy, which is the rule of money. So if a fast food restaurant company wants to locate here, and a developer wants to develop the land, and if a real estate agent makes money off the transaction, and if lawyers are making money off the transaction, then the impact on people is virtually irrelevant. We should have a right to determine which fast food companies get to locate in our county. We should have a right to determine which manufacturers get to locate in our county based on the way they treat labor, based on their environmental record, based on the way they treat people in other countries, based on whether they are or are not clearing rainforests or polluting the water with their mining operations. Imagine if we had the power to say, McDonald's, we think you're big enough. We're going to place a moratorium on new restaurants in our county. And we're not going to let you build any more restaurants in our county until you pay all of your workers a living wage. No more McDonald's in our county until you allow your workers 
to organize in unions and collectively bargain for wages, for benefits, and for safe working conditions. We are not going to allow you to put even one more restaurant in our county as long as you are clearing rainforests to make hamburgers. And United Fruit Company, which now does business as Chiquita, we are not going to allow you to sell bananas in our county until we know, until you demonstrate that you are no longer supporting repressive regimes that routinely dispossess people from their land and torture and kill political dissidents. What I just mentioned was a little bit more problematic because you're dealing with a product and not a business. It's probably better to limit these rules to which businesses can or cannot uh, do business. And really the low-hanging fruit here is restaurants and also Walmart. I mean, there are communities that have prevented Walmart from coming in, and it's not easy to do, but it can be done. And that's another way that we limit corporate power. We also limit corporate power through taxation. So Amazon is just one example of a company that didn't pay corporate taxes last year. So here's one of the richest companies in the world, $20 billion in revenue and no corporate taxes. Because if you want to not pay corporate taxes, well, you, you know, make sure that you have as much expenses as you do revenue. Meanwhile, the value of your stock is going up and up and up and up and up. But $20 billion in revenue and no corporate taxes. Some people, some of these corporations say, we can't afford to do business here because the corporate taxes are so draconian. Okay, then don't do business here. It wouldn't be such a great loss. Because we have the power in our local communities to have thriving local economies. And in that regard, I found a really good website and an organization recently. It's called the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Really good resource that I would recommend. Talking point number 11 in disempowering corporate ogres. We should have the power to say no to petrochemical plants. We should have the power to say no in our county to petrochemical plants. Now, petrochemicals are coming to the Ohio River. Here's how. There's a proposed Appalachian storage hub that's proposed to be put in upriver. Billions, and I mean billions of dollars, have already been invested in it or pledged to be invested. There's a Chinese company that's pledging $80 billion to put in these petrochemical plants. And petrochemical plants are basically, you drill for oil and natural gas and you take all those chemicals and convert them into plastic. So we should have the ability to say no to that. The people of West Virginia and Ohio and Kentucky should have the ability to say no to petrochemical plants. So we're just about out of time. Got about another minute. Let me leave you with a few thoughts. This is about democracy. We've been told we live in a democracy, but we don't have much control over the things that affect us. In the United States, we've been taught to be suspicious of mob rule. 
but that is a pro-establishment narrative. Who wants us to be suspicious of mob rule? It's the elites who think they can rule quite well without the mob, thank you. But the mob is the democracy. The mob is the people. And some people think that the people, even poor people, even middle class people, even working class people, some people think that the poor and the middle class and the working class have a much better ability to run the show and to set policy than the power elites. But yet it's the power elites that currently have the power and they, have the, they are exercising their power to put our entire species and all life on earth at serious risk. That needs to change. I'm glad you've joined me for this episode of the Climate Report. Hope you'll come back soon. Have a nice day.